Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Part of the charm of Asia are the many cultures and, along with those, the many, many festivals, which can add a very deep and rich dynamic and element to your trip. Whether you happen to stumble upon one or perhaps you've made taking in a festival part of your trip. Today, we're going to share a few of the region's key festivals, some of which we've been to, and quite a number of them, which, frankly, we really hope to visit one day. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and with me is... Hey, Scott Trevor Ranges in Siem Rip, Cambodia. What's going on? Uh, well, I'm excited about festivals because we started with the ones we know well. Some that I've taken part in, you know, probably 16 or 17 times. I can think of one of these couple, a couple times and a whole lot of them, which I've never done, which kind of makes doing this podcast even more fun is when we actually get to learn about things we've never personally experienced. And it kind of puts things on our travel list as well. Yeah, you know, because like I, we've mentioned the festivals a bunch of times. It's kind of weird that we haven't done this episode because I think like we talk about like just doing one about Thai festivals all the time because Thailand has so many crazy, interesting festivals. And, uh, you know, we could do an episode just on that. So, but it was kind of fun to go across the region. We do like to explore a bit beyond what we already know. And it's always kind of fun to, uh, discover some of the interesting festivals and, uh, cultural features of the nations, uh, around, uh, Southeast Asia that we don't uh, necessarily know as much about. Yeah, indeed. And so, uh, as we mentioned, some of these are ones we know, and there's a whole lot of cool ones that we want to get to and then maybe in a part two we'll get to central asia and some other countries in asia that are further from us but just before we get into that every time you listen to this podcast you hear me tell you how we love doing this and that's why it keeps continuing but there are costs and we have lovely people called patrons who sponsor the show from a few dollars a week to up to many dollars a week but they get special things like uh, in between episode bonus episodes that only they get and videos like one that I shared recently of exploring Singapore by foot, sort of the downtown key areas, sort of the really neat modern architectural wonders there. It's a pretty cool video. So if you want to see those kind of things and get those bonus episodes, click donate on our page or just go to patreon.com and search the show name and you'll get it. So Trevor, I think we're going to start this thing with one that you and I have experienced many times. Yes, many, many times. And and it's interesting because um, it is celebrated in Thailand, Cambodia, and Laos. And I have experienced it in all three countries. How mm -hmm. about yourself? Uh, I feel like maybe Laos, I have experienced it in Cambodia many times in Thailand. And I know it's there's a version of it also in, in Myanmar. So, yeah, a, a few different countries. Yeah, and you know, like... Uh, it, it's probably most famous in Thailand uh, because the Thais celebrate it so, uh, I don't know, what's the word? <laughs> Extravagantly or exuberantly. Um, but we're talking about Songkran, which is the Thai New Year holiday. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's like a an ancient... Uh, 
New Year based on uh, like the Buddhist calendar, I believe. Uh, it's when the Thais celebrate New Year's and Cambodian and Lao celebrate New Year's. And it's slightly different. Uh, in Thailand, it's the 13th, 14th, and 15th. I know in some parts of Laos, maybe it's 14, 15, 16, or 12, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes place over three days every April. Um, and my understanding was always that the 13th was the last day of the current year and the 14th was the day in between years. And then the 15th was the first day of the following year. Ah, okay. I, I think you're right there. And, and full disclaimer here is Trevor and I are not historians, so we're bound to make some, some errors, but yeah, I think you've, you've got it right there. Yeah, and and then from a little bit of like research online, Somkran comes from the Sanskrit word meaning astrological passage. So it really is kind of like the passing of time, uh, the transformation and change. Um, it coincides with the rising of Aries on the astrological chart. And okay. we know uh, that the Thai people in astrology uh, take these things uh, very seriously. Um, but it is on the New Year calendar of various Southeast Asian and South Asian nations in keeping with the Buddhist and Hindu calendars. Indeed. Um, it's usually marked. Sorry. Indeed. Yeah, it's usually marked with, uh, you know, on the first day, you're supposed to, uh, you're supposed to do cleaning, you're supposed to like clean your house. So it's kind of like a a period of like renewal. Lots of people do clean their houses, clean their cars. Uh, If you go to like Buddhist temples, people bring sand, they bring kind of they make like these sand castles that are like the the sand from the old house, which is like, you know, you're cleaning up the old and, and you're waiting to welcome the new. And I know that you're supposed to like wash the feet of old people part of it is paying respects um, to your elders and tradition Um, one of the most fun places to celebrate it is in Chiang Mai um, which is the biggest party when we get to talking about like the more modern interpretations of it but in Chiang Mai they do they take the Buddha images from the temples and they parade them around town and and people splash holy water on the on the Buddha images Um, so it is taken quite seriously as a a religious holiday Um, but most people I think know it from being just a a big crazy water fight uh, which it certainly is in Chiang Mai and, and, and in other parts of thailand yeah and in in thailand like places like central thailand in the south it'll occur over those three days and and people will generally go to a temple they'll make an offering they'll pour some water gently over the buddha image it is a time to clean the buddha images at temples and pay respect to elders but in modern times it's, it's kind of become the world's largest water fight so for three days centrally it happens but in the north people do it for about a week and you have to be willing to get soaked and be happy about it when you're outside like anybody could come out and just throw a bucket of water at you and laugh or smear kind of baby powder on your face talc and and you are supposed to enjoy that and and it is fun except for when you want to stay dry interestingly there are a lot of other countries in asia where they have new years around this time like bangladesh does certain areas in china certain uh, areas in india west bengal and things like that so it, it kind of carries over in other places also in like nepal and sri lanka but certainly songkran and this water uh, fight is a big Thai thing. And when I was in Singapore the other week, I met two people who mentioned Songkran and they hope to come from it. And then it has similar forms in, in Laos, Cambodia, and to a certain extent in Myanmar, as you mentioned. 
Yeah, it's not quite as big of a party in like Laos or Cambodia. I mean, people do party and celebrate and they take the time off. Lots of people go back to their home village if they're not from the place where they're currently living and working. So, for example, like Bangkok is a bit of a ghost town during yes. uh, Songkran because everybody goes back to the village where they're from. Uh, Chiang Mai is certainly the biggest party. It's just like off the hook. It's one of the world's biggest and best parties, I reckon. Um up in Luang Prabang, I remember people throwing berries at me. Huh. And uh, I remember lots of kids like getting excited to start playing like two days beforehand and like splashing me with water. And I'm always like, hey, you're not allowed to do that until until the first day yeah. of Sulkan. Um, but, you know, definitely kids enjoy doing it. And, and it's really fun. It's a really fun and nice holiday for sure. The buildup, I'll, I'll just mention this is funny because up to a couple of weeks ahead, you'll start to see on street sides, people starting to sell water guns. You know, supermarkets will start to sell kind of very loud Hawaiian shirts with people tend to wear that time of year. So there is this like impending buildup to the, the, the release that's going to happen. And I am imagining Songkran this year in 2023 is going to be completely off the hook because it was canceled in 2020 and 2021 outright because of COVID. Last year, they really scaled it back. So I think that people are, are going to really go for it this year. Hmm. Yeah, should be fun. So let's stick to Thailand for, for one more. Well, okay, yeah. The next it's one is uh, Loi Kratong. Mm. It, yeah, I don't know. I, I You know, I, I've never really... I don't know where, where you might have got that. I don't... I Like, Loi Kratong is like Valentine's Day for Thai people, and I'm, I've never been like a big Valentine's Day person at all. Mm. So I'm, I'm not... I'm, I don't even know. Like, I probably have... I've probably floated a Kratong. Uh, anyway, Loi Kratong means to float a basket. Mm -hmm. And... It, it is, uh, it's the end of the rainy season. It, a lot of these Thai holidays occur on full moons and, uh, it celebrates, uh, like you know, the, the, the beginning of, of like, I don't know, it's like a fertility kind of thing. And, and I think that's why it's a, a Valentine's Day ish thing. I, again, I think they celebrate this in Laos. I know that in Laos, it's a day that a lot of young people lose their virginity. Oh, wow. I know it's definitely a big couples thing in Thailand. That's what I'm saying. I think maybe once when I first moved to Thailand, I did it with my girlfriend. Okay. But otherwise, no, I've, I've never really cared for Loi Kratong. I don't really celebrate it. Except for the fact that last year, my dad and I were in Phuket on Loi Kratong. Mm -hmm. And uh, normally what you do for, for with a Kratong is it's like this, it's a floating thing that you put different offerings on. You like decorate it. And, and then you put it in the water and you light candles and incense and then you, you, you float it into the river and maybe you make a wish that, you know, you'll, you'll be in love and together forever. Um, and that's the normal way to do it. Uh, we were in Phuket last year and in other parts of Thailand, they, they do like lanterns. They have like these, these, uh, these floating lanterns that yeah. you light. Uh, a, a, like a little thing on fire inside of this like large paper lantern and then you, you make a wish and, and you float them up into the sky together and my dad were in, in my dad and I were in Phuket for Loi Kratong last year and, and we got to light a Kratong together uh, or the floating candle or the floating whatever they're called the uh, ones and so that was pretty cool that was probably my coolest Loi Kratong was doing it with my dad um but otherwise, yeah, it's I mean it's 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 a night that there's so much traffic that you, you mostly just don't want to leave the house. Yeah, my wife and I do it every year and we tend to do it close to home. So any little body of water like little lakes and parks, they'll they'll officially host it. And as you said, it traditionally made uh, sometimes at a banana, like a banana stock, and they'll decorate it with flowers and candles and, and different stuff like that. Um, you generally put one piece of your hair, a piece of your fingernail, 
a little coin. And my understanding too is that you're paying homage to Mekongka, the the goddess of water, and you're sort of apologizing for polluting her in the past year. But ironically, you're then putting stuff into water. In modern, in the past or to recent, a lot of these gatongs were made out of foam, and now they've tried to go back to um, banana and, and natural materials. In fact, the ones I've bought the last couple of years are made out of kind of bread and stuff that fish would eat so that when you put it in, they eat it. But it is it is a sweetheart time. I hadn't thought of that, but that is a big sweetheart time. So it's, it's a good one. If you're here, it usually occurs in November. I'm going to talk yeah. about one in Nepal now that I've actually been there when this happened one time, and it's called uh, Kukor Tihar. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, it also can be called Narak Charudashi. And it's an annual Hindu festival in Nepal, but they celebrate it in other parts of the Hindu world. And it generally falls on the second day of the festival of Tihar, which is around October or November. And on this day, to please the god Yama, people worship dogs. The god of death is Yama, and they're considered to be his messengers, the dogs are. So people will spoil dogs on this day. They decorate them with tilaka. They put flower garlands around them. They'll put that red kind of tikka dot on dogs' heads, and they'll give them like really nice foods, like maybe just dog food, but also maybe special meats or eggs or milk and so forth. And it's just quite something to see often kind of semi-ratty street dogs that, you know, the other 364 days a year, they really don't get anything special and they scrounge. But then I I think they must wonder, what the hell's going on this day where everyone's suddenly, you know, putting tikka between their eyes and feeding them really well and giving them these flowers. And it really is quite an interesting, fun thing to see. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I think you'd mentioned it once on the show before, so I'm glad you got to explain it a little bit more. Because yeah. I was like, why would there be like a dog festival? Dog festival. But the relation to that, I mean, I understand Yama because that's a Hindu dog and or Hindu <laughs> Hindu god. Uh, but that's interesting that they're associated with Yama. Mm-hmm. Huh. Like when while we were talking about the Loi Kertong, in, in Cambodia in November, they have uh, Bon Omtok which is a Cambodian celebration that occurs in November as well. And I was trying to wonder, I'm like, I wonder if that's like the Cambodian version of, of Loi Kertong. So I quickly looked it up because we probably should have mentioned that, but it is slightly different. And because like Songkran is kind of a water festival as well, but uh, Bon Omtok is like a Cambodian water festival, which occurs in around the same time as Loi Kratong. And it's like a three-day festival as well, which kind of has like, it's, it's kind of like the Songkran that occurs at like the other end of the calendar or something. And they have boat races um, and, and, and they celebrate the moon on the second day. It's a huge and one. And they have the, like these temple ceremonies. Um, so, so that's quite an interesting ceremony as well because again here like looking at the research like it was celebrated all the way back uh, even in the Angkor days so that was kind of cool but the, the the holiday that I put down for Cambodia was just something kind of small and random that I was lucky enough to experience once it's at Angkor Wat when you go to Angkor Wat you cross the moat around the temple and then there's five doorways from across the moat that enter the temple. There's like the two big ones on the side that are like these giant doors where like elephants can pass through. And then there's three smaller doors in, in kind of the center. And on the, the right of the three, not the center one, but the one to the right, there's a, a, a large, like 
like three or four meter tall Vishnu um, that's made out of a single piece of sandstone uh, that was discovered in a pit beneath the central sanctuary of Angkor Wat, um, suggesting that it could very well have been the image that was enshrined in the central sanctuary of Angkor Wat when it was dedicated to the god Vishnu. Um, but now it's located in this, this chamber toward the entrance, and the Cambodian people believe that a, an ancestral spirit inhabits the statue. Okay. And and whenever I try to exp- whenever I try to explain this to Cambodian people, they have no idea what I'm talking about because my pronunciation is so bad. Sure. Um, but the 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 statue is called Ta Rich. Hmm. It's Ta means like uncle or ancestor. It means like an, an ancestor. So it's like ancestor Rich. So it's this ancient spirit that they believe inhabits this this sculpture because they have like these ancient animist beliefs that have still like hung on within Cambodian culture. And once I was there on our friend Arthur Hansen's birthday. And so okay. I'd been back on his birthday to see if it happened again on, on Arthur's birthday, but it doesn't, it, it just happened that one time. So it's definitely has to do with some, you know, lunar calendar or something that I can't figure out. But, but I've been there on a day when there were all of these nuns dressed in white robes, like dancing around the Vishnu statue and chanting and splashing holy water on it and like offering flowers to it. And it was one of the most interesting ceremonies I'd ever seen because like it's, it's something that maybe predates Angkor, you know, like the worship of these animist spirits. But uh, it was it was kind of cool. And, and I haven't been, been been back there to see it. Uh, but I found it really fascinating that like such an ancient practice or tradition may still be going on to this day. Yeah, that is really neat. And, and you've done a lovely job of explaining it. That's a that's a very cool one. Another one in, in Phuket that's I never understand the gruesome element. It's very famous in the island of Phuket, which, of course, is is a world-famous destination. This very colorful annual event is held on the ninth lunar month of the Chinese calendar. So it usually goes down in September, October, and it's the Phuket Vegetarian Festival. And, in fact, people will go vegetarian across Thailand. I think it's about 10 days or something, but it ultimately celebrates the Chinese community's belief that abstinence from meat and various stimulants will help them attain good health and a peace of mind. And and what a lot of people don't know maybe before they go to Phuket is that Phuket has an old town with, with lots of ethnically Chinese who were just traders, right? So as you kind of go from, say, you know, even places in Indonesia and then up through Malacca and then you hit Phuket or sorry, even before Phuket, you hit uh, Penang and so forth. You had Chinese traders going up and down. So that's why they're they're in Phuket. But nowadays, they have quite extreme celebrations where people are trying to invoke the gods and they'll do things like firewalking, body piercings. You'll see people putting like swords through both cheeks in their in their mouth. And, and they feel that participants kind of become mediums of the gods here. So you'll get, yeah, people putting swords and, and, you know, metal skewers and stuff through their body. And there's always great pictures online and stuff of it. So I've never seen it in person. It is very wild looking. But during that time of year, again, a lot of people will go vegetarian. A lot of meat type restaurants will even close for for about a week or so. Again, I like that this is interesting festivals because this mm-hmm. is one where I'm like, where did where did this practice start like like the tarich ceremony like who knows how like the origins of it began but like who decided that like 
putting these big long needles through your cheeks was like you know the 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 idea of like this is how we're going to honor this festival you know like how is that associated with vegetarianism i I don't quite get it nope nor do i but uh, i guess we just have to attend more (laughs) Yeah. And again, I'm like, sorry for our ignorance and stuff. And, and it is fascinating again, like, cause we're going to transition. The next one that I'm still trying to figure out sometimes is, is Bali. And I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to live in Bali twice and, uh, and once to write a travel guidebook. So I, I actually did try to learn some of these things and like, you know, I've been to this one temple where they, they do this ceremony where like they stab themselves with these daggers they like stab themselves in the stomach with daggers and then they chopped the head off one duck and then they threw the other duck in the in the water and then this local guy paddled his surfboard out and he got the duck and he's like i got the duck that they threw in the ocean last year and i'm gonna bring this (laughs) duck home so that they can live together and i'm like okay you know so bali is definitely one of the most colorful and and fascinating uh, cultures um, and their religion is, is certainly one of the most interesting uh, religions in the world as well. Now, most people are familiar. Well, I don't know if most people are, but if you're familiar with Bali and Balinese culture, uh, Nyepi is, is probably the most famous of the Balinese holidays. Had you heard of Nyepi before, Scott? Before living here, no, but I've heard about it since living here. Yeah, so Nyepi is the, the day of silence, and it occurs... In March, it, it's going to be on March 22nd in 2023. Okay. Um, and it's been occurring for, for nearly 2,000 years. Again, like who decides when holidays occur in Bali? Most of the Balinese don't even know. Like there's a holiday almost every single day for some different temple and some different god. And, and really just everybody's grandma is the only one who knows. And they just tell you like the day before, like, hey, we have, have this celebration tomorrow. Just because like, well, we'll get to that, but Nyepi is is the day of silence, and it, it is their new year, and it's observed from 6 a.m. one day till 6 a.m. the next day, hmm. and it's uh, it's a day reserved for self-reflection, and the idea is that anything that would interfere with that purpose is, is restricted. Um, I've also heard that it was the day that the gods come to the island and and the people are meant not to disturb the gods while they're at the island and and that's the reason why everyone is meant to stay home and stay quiet and i'm not sure about that but i know that is the reason why balinese temples don't have roofs they don't have a roof on their temple because the gods are meant to come down from the heavens into the temple unimpeded um okay but on niepi People have to stay at home. They're not allowed to light any fires. They're not allowed to work. They're not allowed to make any sound or do anything that would be enjoyable, pleasurable. They're not supposed to talk. They're not supposed to eat. They're not supposed to do almost anything at all. And because Bali is such a heavily touristed island, tourists aren't allowed to do anything at all. And there's no internet on the island. There's no television signals broadcast on the island. There's no flights allowed to enter. Like no one's allowed to leave their hotels. The hotels actually, the hotels allow people to keep the lights on because you can't have people in a hotel with no lights. So the hotels cover all of their windows with like newspaper or paint them black because they can't allow light from the hotel to exit the building because 
it's forbidden for, for any light at all to, to be used, so you have to keep the lights hidden. The only people who are allowed out are like some security men who patrol the streets to make sure that nobody else is out on the streets. Um, and the exception is only for emergency vehicles who can respond to life-threatening conditions. And if women are giving birth, I guess the, the hospitals or midwives are allowed to, you know, let to, to help women uh, give birth. Um, but otherwise, like, yeah, Nieppe is quite interesting because, uh, because you're not allowed to do anything, you know? So, so, you know, one time I was there for Nieppe, was living there, and uh, I, I checked myself into a hotel because I was like, well, at least I, I'll stay in a hotel. So, you know, like, I, I, I thought I could watch TV or something, but you weren't even allowed to do that. Um, I was dating someone at the time, so at least I had some, some company um, while I was locked in a hotel for 24 hours. But another time, I mean... I, like one day my, my landlady called me up and she told me like that they were having like a mini Nieppe for like their neighborhood because there's like all these crazy rules, not crazy, but there's all these just interesting rules. So, so like my neighborhood or the area that worshiped a certain temple that was in my neighborhood had to practice some sort of Nieppe. And so she told me like, okay, you're not allowed to like cook and you're not allowed to watch TV or anything for like the next day. And I was like, okay, you know? And so I kind of did it hotel style and I, I, I newspapered up my windows and I, and I used my computer in my room, but I made sure that like no light escaped from my house and stuff. So, so Nieppe in that regard, is, is kind of like uneventful. Like it's not a very exciting event to, to experience, but, uh, on the day before Nieppe, it's, it's actually really quite interesting because all around the island, Balinese villages make these things called Ogo Ogo. And the mm -hmm. Ogo Ogo are these giant statues. They're like giant puppets made of like paper mache and like bamboo. And, and they're all like, they're, they're like these crazy demonic statues with like giant fangs. And some of them are naked with like huge breasts. And, and the, they're, they're meant to symbolize like the negative elements or malevolent spirits or, or like kind of the evil things that, that you might do in your life. Um, so they march those around the, the village. They have these huge parades of them. Um, and then lots of times they burn them in, in ceremonies uh, to destroy them or, or in kind of like purification rituals or something like that. So like the day before Nieppe is kind of fun and festive. And then Nieppe is like everybody like goes home and practices like silent retrospection and stuff like that. And then the day after. So this is kind of like a Songkran thing, too, where you have like the three different days. Yeah. The day after, you know, people will get together and have social activities with their families and friends and kind of ask forgiveness from one another another and perform like kind of cleansing rituals and, and start fresh for the new year. That is a very odd, and I mean that in a nice way, but a very odd and interesting festival. Uh, we're going to go to Japan for the next one, and, and one I would love to go to, except that they say that about 2 million people come for this every year, but it's the uh, Sapporo Snow Festival. And this started out in a really neat way, in 1950, apparently just six local high school students built six snow statues in a Dory Park in Sapporo. And then in 1955, some Japan self-defense forces uh, from a nearby base joined in and built some massive snow sculptures. And it has Trevor snowballed since then. 
But anyway, nowadays, this is celebrated over seven days, typically in February. And most of the snow statues and sculptures can be found in three spots in Adori Park, Susukino, and Tsuzomi. So these are the main sites. And like I said, about two million people will visit Sapporo over that week to see these ice sculptures and snow sculptures and stuff. And they have a, a contest now to judge some of them. And they'll do things now like famous buildings. They even did one of uh, Hideki Matsui, a famous baseball player who once played for the Yankees. So you'll get things like not just buildings anymore. So it has it's kind of grown over the years. And there'll be anywhere like 400 statues so altogether. So there's lots and lots of them to see. I think it's pretty cool that, you know, this just started 70 years ago, I guess, with a, with a few high school students and has grown into a major draw and tourist attraction and a way to have fun in a, in a cold and snowy part of Japan. Yeah, that one's kind of fun. I like the snow festival. I miss snow. Yeah, I miss snow sometimes, too. So what do you got for us next? Hey, the next one, again, we're just going more colorful again. And this is another Hindu celebration. This is something that, like, it looks so fun. This looks like one it of does. the coolest celebrations. It's uh, it's in India. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right. It's it's spelled holy, but it might be pronounced holy, uh, which is close. But holy is a Hindu tradition. Uh, it's one of the most popular festivals in Hinduism, and it celebrates the eternal and divine love of Krishna. Okay. They also signifies the gods Vishnu's triumph of good over evil. Um, it originated and is predominantly celebrated on the Indian subcontinent, but it also has spread now to other regions of Asia and parts of the Western world through the Indian diaspora. Holy celebrates the arrival of spring and the end of winter, the blossoming of love, and for others, a festival for people to get together, play, laugh, forgive and forget, and repair broken relationships. It lasts for a day and a night, starting on the evening of a full moon around the middle of March, and is also known as the Festival of Colors, the Festival of Spring, and the Festival of Love. So it's called the Festival of Colors because... People armed with dry colored and, and colored solutions, and, and in some cases, water balloons and water guns, much like Songkran, um, they make these things out of turmeric and dak and cucumin, like different uh, types of natural plants and ingredients. And they have big color fights and water fights and, and sing and dance and play music and throw water and throw colors and drink bong lassies and and have all sorts of crazy fun <laughs> yeah it looks like one of the coolest celebrations i've seen photos of it in it and it does look pretty cool and i do hope to experience that this next one i didn't know much about and a korean friend kind of mentioned it and then we looked online and i'm probably going to butcher this it's in from uh, south korea the boryong mud festival and this takes place annually uh, in the summer in a town called Boryong. And this is about 200 kilometers south of Seoul in South Korea. But this is a new one. And in 1997, um, a cosmetics company that uses the mud from the Boryong mud flats decided they wanted to kind of promote what they're doing and get people thinking more about the properties of this mud. So the, it's apparently full of minerals, betonites, and germaniums, all of which occur in this mud. So what they did was they made this Boryong Mud Festival. It was conceived, and they wanted people to learn more about their cosmetics in the mud. And the first one was in 1998. Fast forward nine years, and they were getting over 2 million visitors over that week there. So they take 
mud, I guess, from the Boryong Mud Flats, and they move it to the Dechion Beach area, which is fairly nearby, and it becomes a centerpiece of something they create called the Mud Experience Land. And again, they figure it's really rich in minerals, and, and people do stuff with it. But yeah, I mean, I find it weird that it's it's very new. It's from a cosmetics company, but you've got over 2 million people going there. And Although it occurs over two weeks, I think. Sorry, I made a mistake at the beginning. The final weekend is is the most popular. And apparently, Korea's Westerner population really likes to go there. And it's on the second weekend of July, that ending of it. So I don't know a lot more than that. But uh, if I'm ever in Korea in summer, I'll, I'll try and check it out. Yeah, I remember when I was in, I, I, I spent a couple of summers working in Seoul. And I remember seeing things about it. It's kind of popular, or it's like, a, it's promoted as, a, as a, a cool, fun thing to do. And in some way, it reminds me of Holy, because it's like people covered in mud instead of covered in colors. And honestly, I think Holy looks a little bit more fun because uh, the colorful nature of it, and maybe it's a little bit more tradition, uh, makes it a little bit more fun. Um, but if I had a chance to go to the mud festival, I don't think I'd turn it down. The next one is, uh, we, we put it as, as a Lao celebration, but it's certainly something that is also celebrated in Isan and like the eastern part of Thailand, uh, which is traditionally a, a very Lao uh, ethnic population. And it's the Bun Bang Phai, which is the rocket festival, which mm -hmm. takes place either in May or June on the sixth month of the lunar calendar, of course, uh, whenever the full moon happens to occur during that part of the year, uh, just before the rainy season, uh, in the outskirts of Vientiane and in the surrounding villages, uh, also in uh, other parts of Isan and Thailand. And they make these uh, big homemade rockets and we're talking like big and homemade rockets okay. <laughs> and and they usually it's uh usually they have like bands set up and they have like lots of like music and and sometimes they have like beauty pageants that go alongside with them but the big main part of the celebration is these these big rockets um traditionally made out of bamboo um, and some of them are rockets, like bottle rocket style rockets, but some of them are like rockets that are like, they're like round and they have like jets that shoot like horizontally. So it causes these things to spin and yeah. then like spin up in the air and they're like massive and they're like filled with like explosives. And it's like, it looks crazy dangerous and everybody like, not everybody, but there's lots of drunk people involved and there's music and like, it, it looks like a hell of a party, man. Yeah, we've talked about it on a few episodes, and it's one I've never been to. And I think they tend to go down like sort of late May into July. And you know what? Maybe this is the year to finally get there. But yeah, music partying, lots of booze, and massive, massive homemade rockets. That's one I definitely have to get to. Um, we're going to go to China for the last one here. And this is a Dragon Boat Festival, which is celebrated on the fifth day of the fifth lunar month of the lunar calendar, which is typically late May or June. And there's a few different stories about this. Um, I'm going to go into one I like a bit better here, but it is originated in ancient China, commemorates the life and death of a famous Chinese scholar, Qiu uh, Yuan. I'm sorry, I've probably said that wrong. On this day, people tend to spend time together. They eat rice dumplings, drink uh, a special kind of wine, which supposedly wards off evil spirits. And of course, there's dragon boat races. But one of the explanations for this, it comes before the 
Kin Dynasty, which is 221 to 206. And this fifth day of the fifth lunar month was regarded as a, as a very bad day. Venomous animals were said to appear starting on this day, like snakes and centipedes and scorpions. So people apparently would get sickly during these days. So during the Dragon Boat Festival, people try to avoid bad luck. And they sometimes paste pictures of the five poisonous creatures on, on walls and stick needles in them. They might make paper cutouts of these five creatures and wrap them around the wrists of their children. There's performers doing dances and stuff. And it's basically to make sure that they get rid of disease and bad luck, along with actual dragon boat races. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, the dragon boat races, they, they do something like that. Like I was saying, in Bonom Tuk here in Cambodia... You know, I mentioned, I see that you mentioned the rocket festivals again, and that reminds me of the Naga fireballs, which occurs in Nongkai in Thailand. And, and, uh, you know, like once again, I think when we come up with these episodes, like we're just scratching the surface because like, I'm also reminded of the, the Pitakon, which is the, that ghost festival in, in, in Loi in, in like the Northeastern Thailand. Uh, there's so many cool and interesting festivals across the region. Um, I'd like some of our guests or our, our, listeners to maybe throw out a couple maybe send us a message and uh share with us some of their favorite festivals uh, maybe we could find somebody to come on and and talk specifically about them for like a whole episode yeah that would be great we have some listed as well for like mongolia and uzbekistan and pakistan and sri lanka and taiwan so i think you could see a part two coming for these like I said, the one on my list that's the practical win this year is I'm going to try and get myself to one of those rocket festivals. But it's fascinating, the origins of them, and it's fascinating, the ones I've seen in person. So I think if you're going to an area, it's worth looking up, like what festivals are, are going on uh, when you're in a certain country, and maybe you can plan your your trip around them and take in a little more culture that way. So thanks, Trevor, for, for helping research these and share some of these stories, and hopefully, listeners, you've enjoyed that. Uh, if you enjoy the show, click donate on our website or go to patreon.com, become a patron. You will get a special bonus episode in between each of these. Sometimes that's a video, sometimes that's a conversation, but it's good stuff. So thanks for listening. Uh, Trevor, can you wrap this up? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to just riff on what you just said. You know, when you go visit someplace, lots of times you don't know that there's a local festival about to occur. I think that's a great idea. When you're planning a trip, like have a quick look and see like, hey, is there any like festivals or holidays that are going to occur while I'm there? Because sometimes like Nyepi, it's really going to disrupt your trip because there's a whole day where you're not allowed to do anything at all. Um, or if you happen to arrive on Songkran, like your suitcase is going to get soaked with water <laughs> unless, unless you take precautions beforehand. Um, or just like, hey, there's a buffalo race occurring uh, just down the road from your hotel and you might want to go and check that out. So, you know, next time you're planning a vacation here in Asia, uh, have a look at the calendar and see what's occurring because uh, certainly I think some of these experiences uh could make your visit something special so thanks for listening and uh, we hope you enjoyed it and uh, tune in again in two weeks and we'll have a guest and uh, they'll be sharing their expertise in something about asia so thanks for listening thanks for joining us on talk travel asia we look forward to sharing with you again soon hey scott do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall in Kortan and Cambodia?